0: Should we go electric?
1: I think we should go electrified with Toyota.
0: Electrified?
1: Electrified means options.
0: So electrified looks different for everyone.
1: Yup. And with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified
0: diversified. Uh, Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero.
2: Hello? Hey, Catherine. Hey. What's up?
1: I don't know. What's up with you? I don't know. Are you down today?
2: Am I down? No, mm-hmm. I'm average. Okay. Um,
1: average, okay.
2: Um, you know, as this is settling in as a sort of new reality for a long time, and that has made me think a lot about like the, the future of the healthcare system and how everything's going to change and including the global order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've been hearing our president. <laughs> threatening to withdraw from the World Health Organization, um, right? which sounds absurd.
1: So this week was the WHO's annual meeting or something? Yeah. And, and Trump has been sort of threatening to pull funding for them and maybe even like not be a part of the WHO anymore?
2: Right, right. It's such a dramatic swing from the U.S. as a global leader in international right. aid, both for purposes that are consistent with, you know, the ethos of our country and also just because it's good diplomacy and it builds alliances politically to help out uh right. other but countries. But this is
1: I <laughs> mean this is consistent though with Trump's outlook toward international cooperation and collaboration though, right?
2: Right, right. And here seems a really treacherous time to do that when we're we're waiting on, you know, we have these global coalitions like we talked about on Wednesday to to build a vaccine. You know, everyone's trying to get a Mm -hmm. vaccine. And when we have one, it will be important that we have allies all over who can share their processes.
1: Right. Because if somebody makes a vaccine before the U.S. and we've been (laughs) rude, (laughs) it's not guaranteed they're going to share it with us.
2: Yeah. So purely from a perspective of self-interest, you don't want to uh, alienate all these countries that are working together.
1: Listen, it's a lesson that I learned the hard way. Which is, like, when you're mad at someone, it's very tempting to blow things up because it's very gratifying, right? It's very emotionally satisfying in the moment. But you never know when you're going to need that person again, you know? Huh. But I don't know. That's just me.
2: Well, it seems like political theater, right?
1: It definitely seems like political theater. But are there actual serious consequences to these threats? And if we were actually to pull out of the WHO what would happen like what consequences would that
2: have yeah the theater itself is dangerous for our president mm-hmm. to be blaming other countries and international alliances for our own failures you know he's saying that the world health organization ignored and conspired with china to cover up this virus which you know there there are people looking into the exact timeline within a matter of days and weeks in late december and early january but the who clearly warned the world in late january and we ignored that on into march (laughs) and now trump is saying you know blaming the who for for not warning us is there
1: some legitimate complaint there though did the who not move fast enough or not warn strongly enough or
2: they're going to be investigations that litigate that period of a couple weeks
1: the couple weeks between like late december and mid january or something
2: Um, yeah The WHO had an independent investigator come in and sort of litigate China's response, and they found no evidence of a Um, Mm cover-up.
1: What's the theory of the cover-up?
2: There's a lot of complexity in China's politics, of which I'm certainly not an expert, but that there are levels at which people might have had an incentive to try to contain it locally without reporting things nationally and making an issue of it for political reasons, and Mm -hmm. that some levels of government in China knew things about, say, human-to-human transmission earlier than others, and their accusations that the WHO was too trusting in China's reports that it, like, most controversially, I think, saying that there was no evidence at the time of human-to-human transmission. And this was at some point in I believe early January, and some people say the WHO shouldn't have trusted China's report on that, but it also is kind Mm -hmm. of like, that's a member country saying it has not found evidence of human-to-human transmission. Um, uh, So anyway, there, there are things like that, but the overall point is that there are things to litigate in that window, but by the end of January, they had declared a public health emergency of global concern. They had told everyone to seriously limit travel and to shut things down. And in the U.S. we were doing nothing. So anyway, there were clear, intense warnings.
1: So regardless of, you know, how much the WHO is to blame and whether it was transparent and quick enough with the information that people needed, it is the world organization for coordinating international responses to pandemics. So let's call Kelly Lee. She's a professor of public health at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. She has studied the WHO since the 90s and wrote a book on it in 2009. So we're going to try to get her to help us answer these questions. What what does the WHO do and what does a world without a really strong WHO look like? <laughs>
0: Hello. Hi there. Is that Jim Hi. and Catherine?
1: Hello. Yes,
0: how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you guys? Uh,
1: we're doing okay, you know. We we never know <laughs> what to say. Do you know what to say?
0: <laughs> I say we're keeping safe and well, I think here in D.C. at least. Oh, that's very weird.
1: Um, so what we're going to do, because of the the meeting this week and Trump's uh, comments on it, we, we were hoping to get sort of a basic primer on the WHO.
0: Okay. And then we thought yeah. you
1: would be the right person to talk to.
0: Well, thank you. Yes, I've been studying WHO a long time and who would have known it would have been headline news, you know, this obscure research and then suddenly it's become, you know, top of the news. So
1: when you when you started studying it, were you like, oh, this will never be?
0: Yeah, it's a bit nerdy for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it came out of grad school and um, I did my my doctorate degree on another specialized agency, which is even more nerdier, which is the International Telecommunications Union.
1: Oh, that does sound nerdy. That does sound yeah, very
0: nerdy. I was interested in <laughs> satellites. And so I, I joined um, a medical school and I was um, learning, I was hired to study the World Health Organization, which was another technical body. And I was like probably the only person on earth who would be interested in taking it apart.
1: So for the uninitiated, We understand that the WHO is the World Health Organization, but how would you describe it? What, What does it do?
0: So I guess in a nutshell, it is the UN Specialized Agency for Health. It was formed in 1948, so after the Second World War, and it was created to be the directing and coordinating body for international health cooperation.
1: And was there some inciting incident or was this just sort of the era of, you know, international organizations being created to coordinate problems?
0: I think it was both. Um, so after the Second World War, there were a lot of epidemics because of the war. People were in very bad shape. Health systems were destroyed in many parts of the world. Um, there were outbreaks of TB. There were outbreaks of all sorts of infectious diseases that needed to be brought under control. What, what, this is a You're probably wondering, what does it dumb do, question, right? but what does it, it do? <laughs> that's okay. No, it's a great question, you know. So when it was created, it was kind of an amalgamation of a lot of pre-existing organizations. And those organizations were largely focused on collecting statistical data, standardizing practices, creating protocols, technical reports, and so on. So it sounds super boring, I know. But if you ever wonder why a disease like MERS is called MERS. The last coronavirus. Yeah, the last coronavirus. You wonder, you know, why do they call it that? Well, there's a committee in WHO who deals with the classification and the naming of diseases, and you know, you might think, okay, that's not the most exciting thing. Um, you no, know, I, I actually
1: love this kind of stuff. I will <laughs> <okay>. say.
0: <laughs> so I think when people think of you know uh, global health, they think of a scientist peering down a microscope, or maybe some buff frontline health worker, you know, swinging into action. And really, it's about a lot of these people sitting around a table and saying, okay, you, you have to classify diseases by distinct names, but also, but also have a standardized way of recognizing it. And you can imagine that's really important for someone who's in a hospital and a patient presents and you have to figure out what's wrong with them. It's really important to have these guidelines. So that's some of what WHO does. As I say, it doesn't get the heart racing oftentimes. (laughs) When WHO was created, it it continued to do a lot of this. But then there was a group of people who thought, well, maybe WHO needs to be more action oriented. We have a lot of committees and they do a lot of work, but we need to get people out there fighting diseases and changing the causes of ill health and building health systems and so on. So they wanted WHO to be more practical hands-on. So this kind of division between probably, I would say, you know, really roughly richer countries and poorer countries. Richer countries wanted WHO to have a more circumscribed role and poorer countries wanted more technical assistance.
2: So the richer countries were like, we'd like you to describe the problem of cholera and famine and lack of access to sanitation and all these things but don't do anything about it
0: yeah because we could do it
2: right what's something as the the organization was transitioning what was a, a program that was successful or made people start to think that this was a direction yeah we should move in
0: There were a number of countries who supported disease eradication, or at least disease control programs. The most successful one was of course smallpox, and we no longer have smallpox. Is
1: that credit to WHO?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It was the biggest achievement that WHO has done so far, and some say the biggest achievement of humanity in the 20th century was the eradication of a disease, and it was a horrible disease. So this remains today as the high point of WHO. Uh, this thing got everyone excited that oh, we could just tackle some more diseases. So let's do what's what's next, right? And so polio is the one that we are focusing on now. It's um, we're almost there. I think it's something like ninety-eight percent eradicated, but there's these um, small pockets and they happen to be in countries where it's very difficult to access the cases, Afghanistan, Pakistan, mm-hmm. for example, Nigeria. So these are places where sometimes there's instability. Health workers have been attacked and killed um, trying right, to right. find these last cases and vaccinate children. So, you know, it's a struggle and now we have COVID. So that's kind of shut down the polio eradication efforts.
2: What, um, what is the total budget of the World Health Organization?
0: So WHO is funded for about 2.2, 2300000000 billion a year. So that's about the size of a, a medium-sized hospital, one huh. hospital. And it has wow. to cover, you can imagine, 194 countries, um, you know, in their activities. And it does all sorts of things, you know, from AIDS to Zika. You look at the WHO constitution and you have this kind of big aspiration. So the objective of WHO, it's stated in the constitution, is the attainment by all peoples of the highest possible level of health, so huge, huge goal. And so you're, you know, you're you're spreading this budget extremely thin. Um, and the other thing about, I should say about the budget, it's made up of two pots of money. The first pot is the assessed contributions. That's a membership fee. So every country that wants to be a member of WHO pays a certain amount, depending on their population and on their wealth. So that's why the US pays more than you know, Sierra Leone, that's just a formula, it's it's a fairness issue. And the second thing is the budget is paid for by these voluntary contributions. So member states or charities or even individuals can step up and put money into WHO. But the problem, I think what you see is that then the people that give the money decide what the money is spent on.
1: Right, right.
0: It's not necessarily the most important things, it's just the favourite things. And so what happens is WHO doesn't really have a lot of control over most of its budget. There's something like seventy-five percent of its budget is voluntary funds. And so this rest of it is for the kind of less glamorous yeah. things.
2: So Jeff Bezos could buy seventy five WHOs. <laughs> or or fund it for seventy five years roughly. Yes. Um, so this is a relatively small the US military budget is around $700 billion and the WHO's budget is around $2 billion?
0: That is correct.
2: So um, what is the U.S. contributing to the WHO annually?
0: The U.S. is the largest donor. So it gives around, um, you know, like a third of the budget. Oh, wow. And so it gives about 75% of the voluntary contribution. So it, it's a big player for sure. And so all these threats about withdrawing money uh, it is very worrying. It's, it's going to hurt WHO. And it's not, you know, the best time to do that. So the U.S. is a very big player. the The American membership is actually, the, I would say, the most influential in WHO. It's not actually China.
2: So, what would the effects on the WHO be if the U.S. stopped funding and/or completely left?
0: Right. So in in terms of financial, as I say, it it will hurt. I think other countries may step up and fill the gap. But the the first thing would be that if um, WHO withdraws its voluntary contributions, what that means is all these programs, which it actually, uh, you know, the U.S. government earmarked these funds for, will lose out. So I think it gives something like 25% of that money for polio eradication. So therefore, that program is going to really suffer.
1: So so if the U.S. pulls out, polio has no chance of being eradicated and could even make a comeback?
0: It could make a comeback in the U.S. Who knows, right? So it's kind of shooting yourself in the
1: foot. Wow.
0: Um, and we're so close. We are so close. So it's actually things that the U.S. government presumably decided to spend money on, and now they're saying, no, because we're upset, we're going to just pull everything out. And that's, that's a real shotgun approach, pulling it out of things you actually want to happen. So that does, to me, make Self-sabotage. sense. Self-sabotage. For sure. This is Catherine's area of expertise.
1: <laughs> just kidding. Um, but,
2: but, but why would not um, a group, uh, why would not an influential member of an organization say, if, if they truly don't like the leadership or think mistakes were made, tried to then uh, replace the leadership or change the organization in some way instead of just leaving, like setting fire to the house.
0: Well, that's it. You know, I see, I see this as we're fighting a five alarm fire and President Trump wants to turn the water off. You know, I was like, really? Is this really the best way to deal with this?
1: Well, I don't like the way the firefighter is holding that hose.
0: No. <laughs> uh, that, that's right.
1: Have you ever seen anything... Like this, I mean, you've been studying this organization for for a couple decades. Is this surprising to you?
0: It is surprising. I've seen ups and downs for sure. I mean, WHO has been undergoing a reform process for a long time. I have not seen this kind of existential threat to WHO saying, you know, let's just pull out completely, let's push the nuclear button, sort of thing, you know. And I've not seen that. Um, it's almost like President Trump is using a lot of the business tactics that he's used in his career and translated them into you know, international diplomacy and finding, oh, why isn't anyone listening to me? I think I will just get stronger language in there, you know, and it's kind of ramping it up. And he hasn't realized yet that people don't respond to threats or bullying at an international level. Well, I was
1: telling, yeah, I mean, I was telling Jim that I feel like in my personal life, I've had to learn the hard way that even if you're kind of mad at somebody, it is really in your best interest to not blow up at them. And not like burn the bridge because you never know how circumstances might change.
0: I think that's a good approach. Yeah, I think what a real leader is, in my eyes, is someone who can work with other people, even they may not like them and they may not agree with them, but they still work with them because there's a common good. There's it's something like you and me, that Jim. needs to be achieved. <laughs> we have a common a common goal. You put your personal feelings aside and you look at the the bigger picture. Yeah.
2: It seems pretty clear to everyone I know that this is sort of a scapegoating. I mean, Trump himself did not acknowledge the seriousness of the virus. I mean, still occasionally doesn't, uh, but we didn't take any moves to... Shut anything down until March. And it was late January when the World Health Organization had said, kind of like, everyone should look at China's response and prepare to do the same. (laughs) So, anyway, it seems like clear scapegoating here, but this would have real effects on the world. What do you make of those accusations about China? Am I misreading it? Is there anything there other than just scapegoating?
0: There may well be, but we'll find out with this investigation, which everyone has agreed that's going to happen. So, you know, we'll see in due course who knew what. And, and so we don't know. I mean, there's a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of accusations flying about. But this is not the time to do it. You know, when WHO alerts member states, it's the member states that need to act. And so everyone got the same information at the same time. Right. To be really frank, December 31st, that alert went out. And then January, the public health emergency was called. Mm -hmm. Member states have to then act. And so I think it's really disingenuous to say, oh, you know, there was a week here where, you know, we didn't have that information. Therefore, this is why 90,000 Americans have died. That is, you know, really quite tenuous. Right. So you have this perspective from history
2: on there was a time in the 1940s when we realized we really need international coalitions to help understand and address health issues specifically infectious diseases and so we had the foresight then to establish an organization and it has done things like eradicate smallpox nearly eradicate polio been able to coordinate especially on infectious diseases which are problems that by their nature you know affect us all together as a global population and now We seem to be on the brink of uh, that falling apart or at least the order shifting and becoming something that a powerful country like the U.S. is not fully behind or maybe not behind at all. Are we not learning from history or or how? what does that history tell you about this moment?
0: We're at a really important historical point um, and maybe where my (laughs) career has headed towards, you know, at this defining moment in terms of choices that we have to make going forward, this post-pandemic future we have, because this is not the last pandemic we're going to have. So what lessons are we going to learn? Are we going to go the way of going back to trying to build walls between countries? And I say this metaphorically, but it sounds like there might be physical walls as well, but you know, are we going to close down and try and hide away or, or cut the, the globalization connections that we've created? Or are we going to say, look, you know, the world is different. We value globalization, but we haven't invested enough in the kinds of protections that we need to make globalization work. We haven't invested enough in health security. We really barreled forward in terms of economic globalization. We let the market drive that process. But what we didn't do is value the roles governments play in globalization. Rain. And I keep saying, you know, we can't have economic globalization without strong societies, without strong governments. And I know that might be a really anathema to some people. You know, they want to reduce governments. They want to hollow out WHO and the UN system. But this is what happens when you do that. We can't operate globally and travel around if we don't have the international health regulations, if we don't have people regulating what we're taking for granted, what we don't see in front of us. So there'll be a big debate. It's almost like the post-Second World War conferences that world leaders came together and created the UN system. Maybe we're at that moment. We need another one of those historical events to take us forward.
1: We've got to find a way to brand nerd work as um, heroic. We can start here. (laughs) That that work that you were saying at the beginning is so boring um, is what allows us to live our carefree lives. Um, in the spirit of glorifying nerdy things, can do you have a favorite satellite fact?
0: <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. Excellent. So what people probably don't know is that if you have a satellite, you want to shoot it up into space, you have to get a parking spot a bit like, you know, like parking your car. Really. And increasingly it's crowded because there's a lot of satellites up there. Mm-hmm. So if you filled up all your space above your country, you can negotiate with other countries and say, "Could I have your parking spot until you have a satellite mm. to shoot up because then mm-hmm. I could have an extra satellite?" So that all these negotiations are really interesting because of course, you know, no one's aware of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. You have to you might have to rent parking space.
2: Well, we have a Space Force now, so I imagine we're not going to have to ask. We're just going to take the space. And that Space Force has a budget of $15 billion, which is 30 times more than we contribute to the World Health Organization.
0: You're very good at numbers, Jim.
1: <laughs> yes, Jim's showing off his math skills.
2: I have a calculator here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Take Bye. care. Bye.
2: Does that change the way you feel about the World Health Organization?
1: Yeah, I feel inspired. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are problems with it and I'm sure there's whatever, like any political organization is gonna. But I mean, eradicating smallpox, that is cool. Anyway, um, well, I want to say thank you to the people who wrote in giving me tips on how to get into my Purell bag. Yeah, that one
2: smash it with a hammer, that does not sound right.
1: What I've learned is that I'm going to cut the rubber tube and then clip it and then make my own little sort of uh, dispenser nozzle. I'll let you know how it goes. Anyway, thank you to everyone who wrote in. Our show was produced today by the great Kevin Townsend, along with uh, help from... Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry, who have been wonderful partners in helping us make this, you can subscribe to The Atlantic at theatlantic.com support us, or you can just uh, write us at, social distance at theatlantic.com. Do you have anything else you would like to say, Jim?
2: Um, are we going to have an episode on Monday?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, so it's Memorial Day. So no. How about we talk again on Tuesday? And then okay. we'll figure out the schedule for the rest of the I week.
2: will look forward okay. to it.
1: Okay. Have a good weekend okay. and Memorial Day.
2: Yeah, you too. Bye.
1: All right. Bye.
0: So, should we go electric?
1: I think we should go electrified with Toyota.
0: Electrified?